I'm Trillia Newbell, and this is Stories of Sacred Endurance, a podcast about preserving in Christ through the ups, downs, challenges, heartbreak, and journey of life. Every episode, we will talk to a fellow saint who can teach us something important about enduring in the faith. Josh Deckert is the founder of Hammerstone Capital, an investment company focusing on early stage opportunities. Prior to launching Hammerstone Capital, Mr. Deckard was the assistant press secretary to President George W. Bush. He was the longest serving member of the press office staff, um, his tenure spanning from 2002 to 2007. Josh is a native of Cincinnati, Ohio. He studied at the University of Kentucky, and he and his wife, Allie, now live in Arlington, Virginia with their four children. So I grew up in a home that went to church every Sunday. I, I don't ever remember hearing the gospel. I don't ever remember hearing that I was a sinner that needed a savior. But after my eighth grade year going into my freshman year of high school, I was having a really difficult time on a number of fronts. And by God's grace, he put somebody in my life named Rod Foster with an organization called Athletes in Action. And I idolized basketball players at that point in my life. And I didn't realize it because he never told me. But later I did research and found out. He was the all-time leading free-throw shooter at UCLA and actually in the NCAA. He was asked to be on the Olympic team, and he was an All-American. But he never told me any of these things. But what he did do was introduce me to Jesus, and he made basketball about Jesus, and we'd play putt-putt, and it was about Jesus, or we'd have lunch, and we'd pray, and he would talk, and he'd share the gospel with me, and he'd tell me how God had transformed his life. And and so that summer, I ended up making a profession of faith, and I, I genuinely thought I had repented and was following Christ. Rod moved away, and now I'm back to not really having any Christians in my life. And so for the next eight years, I lived a very sinful life. It, you name it, I did it. And mm-hmm. I the one thing that was fascinating for me, though, was I was miserable in my sin. Yeah. And I, I felt a conviction, but obviously not enough to the point where I wanted to repent and follow Christ. But April 20th, 2003, it was Easter Sunday. I was sitting in a church that I was visiting when I was back home visiting family. And I heard the gospel. And the Lord, by his grace, just allowed me to see how miserable I was in my sin and how everything I was living for was leading me to to wanting more of it. It never satisfied. And, mm. and I think I was the last person to walk out of that church building that day. I just sat there for probably two, yeah, two hours crying and just confessing my sin to the Lord and, um, and, and experiencing joy for probably the first time in my life. Wow. So this was in 2003. Yes. Had you correct. met your wife yet? Um, I had. So I've known her since elementary school. We oh, re-met. That's we really great. Re-met. Oh, yeah. She wanted nothing to do with me growing up, <laughs> rightfully so. I can't believe she ever came around on that. But she, I moved to D.C. in 01. She moved here in 02. And we re-met about a week after she moved here. And at the time, she was she was really an atheist, maybe somewhere atheist agnostic. I'm not exactly sure. She's not exactly sure where she was. She certainly wasn't following the Lord. Yeah. And so after I was saved, I came back to town and I told her, you know, you've seen me living this very hypocritical life because I used to pray before a meal or sometimes I'd read my Bible. But then I'd go get drunk or I'd go do whatever. Yeah. And so I said to her, you know, I actually believe this now. I want to follow Christ. I, I want, I'm surrendering everything I have. I want to, you know, get involved in a church, all these things. And so there was a week where I think she thought, oh, this is a phase or whatever. But she started coming to church with me. And she loved one of the voices of somebody who sang there. And so she said, oh, I'll go back to listen to that person sing. And in the coming months, it is. God uses all kinds of means to draw people. And in the coming months after hearing the gospel preach week in and week out, um, the Lord saved her as well later that year. 
that's amazing. I I just I'm I'm stuck on that that she <laughs> she came back just to hear someone sing and how the Lord used mm-hmm. that. And yeah. for all you worship listener worship leaders listening, I hope that encourages your faith. Absolutely, it's just amazing. And so you wouldn't say you had come to know the Lord at that time, but your your faith was renewed and your eyes were open. What, what are you doing professionally at this time? So at that point in time, 2003, I was working in the White House for President Bush, and I was very fortunate. It's the best work environment I'll ever have. I had the mm-hmm. best coworkers and certainly the best boss, and and having a boss and other coworkers who were Christians and not just culturally, but actually believed uh, and sought to follow the truth of, of God and His Word. It certainly, the Lord used that as part of my story to soften my heart and made it a lot easier for me to, you know, want to go to work every day and to be encouraged in my faith by coworkers. What was awesome, though, about the, you know, being there was I also worked with a lot of non-believers and people were, I think a lot of my friends were solid, dramatic change in my life. And yeah. and it led to great opportunities to, to tell them about Jesus. And some believe and some don't. And that's okay. I did have um, one friend who was Jewish who has since come to saving faith in, that's amazing. in Jesus. It wow. is. Uh, I have many other friends who are Jewish who are still Jewish. And that's yeah. okay, too. I love, I love them. And yes. they're still great friends. So. Yes. No, I think that's so good. Absolutely. And it's so it's I think it's good to have friends from all different walks. Yes. But we do rejoice when someone comes to know the Lord. And yes. and so you talked a little bit about how it changed your attitude about work. Is there any other way that this renewed love for Jesus transforms your work and and e- either the way you pursued it or the way you interacted with coworkers? Obviously, you were we're sharing your faith, so that's a difference. But, but is there anything else that it transformed? Maybe even the vision, your the, the way that you saw your work. Immediately, no. Over time, yes. And sure. you know, I actually have a lot of regret about that time. I think in the first maybe five, six years of my life, I, I thought everything was just about telling people about Jesus. And I'm here just to tell people about Jesus. And and I think the Lord does want us to take advantage of those opportunities. As you know, though. All work is important to God, and, right. and oftentimes we forget this, but the work we're doing actually is a form of worshiping the Lord, and so being faithful in our work. And And I look back and I think about times where maybe I was lazy or not as faithful to do something I should have been done, or maybe a bad attitude that I had and grumbling or something like that. But I think over time and God putting other strong believers in my life and proper study of theology has helped me understand the value of work and the importance and how all work worship is a form of worship to the Lord. So I, I really wish that that is something I had learned sooner in my faith, but it, that that came in time, I think. Yeah. So in that time, it just transformed the way you view, it sounds like, more than anything else, not necessarily the way you executed your work. It sounds like that, you just changed the way you viewed. Well, that's, I think that's right. Yeah. Well, there were there any resources or biblical texts that that helped you help establish that foundation? Yes. Yeah. The book God at Work, I think it's by Gene Veith, if, I remember, if I'm saying his last name correctly, was very helpful. And then honestly, I just remember I, when I started going to a new church in 2007, and that was really the first time in, in our Christian life and in our marriage that we had accountability and discipleship and people pouring into our marriage and every aspect of life. And and I really remember one night I'm sitting at dinner with three, four other godly men. We're sitting outside at this restaurant and they're just talking about work and how to honor the Lord in the work and all these different things. And 
the way in which they were talking and engaging with texts and, and wrestling through the stuff was something I'd never really took taken seriously. And it really opened my eyes and began a journey to want to honor the Lord in every aspect of my life. But seeing that work isn't separate from my faith, it's part of my faith. And yeah. I think so often it's like, I prior to that, I would have seen, okay, well, work is an opportunity to tell people about Jesus, but my relationship with the Lord is outside of work. And seeing that that's not true has been very helpful and freeing. No, it makes sense. We're going to change gears a bit. You mentioned awesome. your wife, and yes. I'd love to for you to tell us a little bit more about your family. I know you guys from Instagram and getting to, <laughs> <laughs> and you're just beautiful. But but tell us tell us your family makeup and how long you've been married and about your children to the degree you'd like to share. Absolutely. So I met my wife in uh, 2002. We dated for about two years. Uh, we're engaged for half a year and then we got married in May of 2005. So we've been married a little over 14 years. We have four beautiful children, three boys and a girl. So our oldest son is Wit. He just turned nine. Oh, actually it's been a while now. So he's nine. And our, we have Hudson and Chase and then our daughter, Sydney, who's four. And I love my I love being a dad. It's the greatest job I've ever had. All of my children are so different from one another. Yeah. And I think I get a experience every day when I get home God's wisdom and diversity, not only in the way they look, but the way they act and how he's yeah. created different personalities and strengths and weaknesses. And I'm really thankful. I think one thing you touched on, this isn't something I normally come out and just announce, but I, one of our children, Chase, is adopted. And so as you talk about the makeup of our family, mm -hmm. that's been a really important thing for our entire family. And you know, I, I tell all my children, I love them all the same, but but Chase is the one that God has used to teach me more about God's love for me mm. and just getting to experience the beautiful journey of adoption as our mutual friend, Dr. Moore, had such an impact on us adopting. And that's just been one of the greatest gifts to our family. And so it's not something I run around saying, hey, I have an adopted child because we do feel like he's our son. He is our son. In fact, I named him, his first name is Joshua. So we named him after mm -hmm. me so that he would know that he's not our adopted son, but that he is our son. That is beautiful. That And I, I, I love that you named him after you as a symbol so that he knows mm -hmm. we you are a part of this. And yet, yes. isn't it remarkable that we are are adopted by God. So yes. there is something so, I, I think the doctrine of adoption is one of the sweetest, yeah. most remarkable more. aspects of our faith, that we are sons and daughters of the God Most mm. High is amazing, amazing grace that he not only saves us, but he ushers us into a yes. new and beautifully diverse family. Mm -hmm. So wonderful. So thank you for, I'm glad you brought that up. And you have, you have another son who has recently, I believe, been diagnosed with something. Could you share that with us as well? Absolutely. Yes. Our oldest son, Wit was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes February 5th, 2018. So it was shortly after his eighth birthday. He had been not feeling well for quite a while. He was thirsty all the time. He, in hindsight, we realized he had lost weight. He had to use the restroom, you know, many times an hour. We realized something was wrong. We weren't sure. And we were on vacation in Florida. And my sister-in-law actually said, hey, you might want to consider the fact that potentially he has diabetes. And so we made a doctor's appointment for the morning after um, we got back from Florida and we went to the doctor and they immediately sent us to the ER. It was confirmed that he had type 1 diabetes, which we knew nothing about. I didn't right. know the difference between type 1 and type 2. And uh, it's dramatically changed all of our lives. My son's life for sure, my wife's life for sure, and our family and, and our friends as well. It's it's all 
consuming, but honestly, the Lord has taught us so many good things through the difficulties that we faced over the last year and a half. And my son, I've asked him multiple times, if you could choose between having diabetes and not, what would you choose? And every time he said, I'd, I'd choose to have it. And, and one time, yeah, one time at dinner, we were talking about if we could have one invention, what would it be? And mine was a cure for diabetes. And he said, well, dad, just so you know, I wouldn't take the cure. So he's taught me a lot through that. And I think, I mean, if I'm honest, part of it is I think he gets a little bit more attention. I was going to ask you, what <laughs> what is driving that? Because that yeah. is really, it's so, that is so interesting. And I do think kids are so resilient. They and are. this this is a, this podcast is on stories of endurance and mm-hmm. and just to hear your son how he is enduring through this trial with such remarkable things that he's saying and thinking but I do wonder do you have you asked him what is driving that desire besides attention I I, I find it just remarkable it is remarkable I, he's a remarkable young man I think one of the things that he's learned a lot about this is well there's a couple of things one is he's understanding his body better when he exercises the difference it makes in how he feels obviously it's true for all of us but significantly more for him what he eats what he puts into his body all these different stress and all these different things he's more in tune with what he's feeling physically but also emotionally and it's it's forcing him to have to talk and communicate about what he's feeling and there's a lot of emotional struggle that comes along with having type 1 diabetes and i think in some ways, it's a blessing that at his age, he's learning how to communicate what he's thinking and what he's feeling and, and to work through those things and gives us opportunities to talk about God and his goodness. And I was just thinking even this morning in John 9, where the man is born blind and who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. And Jesus says, it wasn't this man or his parents, it was so that the glory of God could be revealed in his life. And mm. and we've seen where the, God's glory is being revealed through it. I've been able to share the gospel with people who've who've asked, you know, how we endure in the midst of this. I've, I've Wit has been able to come alongside and encourage other younger children who've been diagnosed since he has pe- friends of friends of friends reach out and Wit's been able to talk with them or meet with them. And That's so it, it is, it is a real gift. And so we, we, I think he's over time becoming more aware of God knows what he's doing in this, even though we can't always see it. I think you're right. And it just reminds me of the scripture about comforting with the comfort we receive from yes. Christ and how we Amen. Um, suffering and trials all so often bring an opportunity to care for other people. But I will say for myself, as I'm thinking of my own children, when a child suffers or they walk through a trial, it, it's painful as a mm. Parent as a mom, I I don't like it, and mm-hmm. so I I do wonder how have you dealt with this trial in your own heart? How are you wrestling with the Lord or thinking through it in your yeah in your own heart? It's a great question. I think there's this is multifaceted answer. One is God in His kindness, starting about ten or eleven years ago, started putting people in my life who loved the Lord and were suffering in a variety of ways. People who have lost children, people whose children had cancer, people whose spouse had left them, um, and watching them endure and learning from them how they trusted the Lord in the midst of difficulty prepared me, prepared my wife, Allie, for trials that were going to come. I remember Matt Chandler preaching a sermon years ago talking about the storm, and he, he says, you know, talking about building your house on the rock, and, and one thing he says in there is that you know whether you build your house on the rock or you build your house on the sand, it doesn't change the fact that the storm's coming. 
And so when we build our house on the rock, we're ready and we're prepared. And when we build our house in the sand, you know, we're not. I used to think of it, oh, if we build our house on the rock, the storm's not going to come. I wouldn't have necessarily known I was thinking that, but that is how I thought about that text. And and so knowing suffering's coming to all of us, trials, we live in a broken and a fallen world. And so being prepared has been helpful. I think for me, I struggled not nearly how my son struggles now, but as a kid, I had Tourette syndrome, obsessive compulsive disorder, learning disability, attention deficit disorder, severe depression, a variety of things that at the time were miserable and I hated it. And many nights I cried myself to sleep and I watched my mom, you know, constantly sad over, hopeful, but also sad over what I was going through. And, and and later in life, I realized those things were a blessing because I wow. feel like chil- children who don't struggle turn out to be adults who don't know how to struggle when, when difficulty comes. And mm. so I think one thing that I have to constantly remind myself is God loves my son. He loves all my children more than I ever will, as much as I love them. He only knows how to give good gifts to his children. And I've seen how he's used my sin, my failure, my shortcomings, my weaknesses, not only for his glory, but for my good. I think I'm much better off because of the way I've, I've struggled. One of the things that happened the week after Witt was diagnosed, we were meeting with the head of his school. His school has been absolutely incredible and supportive and helpful. And, and I remember the head of his school said, you know, this isn't just a diagnosis for Witt or for your family. This is for our whole school. And he said, God is going to use this to teach the other kids in our school empathy, and he's going to use this to teach the other kids in our school to look outside of themselves and how to consider others. Hmm. And and so I do see that when we struggle, God has good, good plans for us in that, and obviously it's painful. It's painful yesterday. My son's blood sugar was through the roof. His insulin pump came off. My wife was getting ready to take our daughter somewhere. She had to rush up to his school and give him shots and put the pod back on you know, he's feeling awful, hmm. makes him feel awful the rest of the day. Some days he's low, it looks like he's going to faint. We have to wake him up multiple times in the middle of the night to either give him sugar or sometimes extra insulin. And that's hard. It's, yeah. you know, I don't like seeing that for my son. But thankfully, because of other trials we've walked through in the past, God has, we've come out of this seeing God's goodness in it, and it builds our faith for the trials that are we're going through now. Yes. So before we talked, I had no idea the trials that you've endured as a child. And just it reminded me of the scripture, I believe, Romans, where it's uh, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and our hope won't put us to shame. And Mm -hmm. and just how those how how you've been able to now navigate this because you experienced that suffering and and have endured through it and you're you're able to now in, encourage your family and your son who who's going to to suffer from one degree or another for for the rest of his life unless there yes. does become a cure but this is something that has he's going to have to take something or do some yes. some yeah live with this is a, a long right. suffering um, yes, disease is. and so but what you're instilling in him now, I just, I just want to encourage you that, and you. and just to think about the how the Lord was preparing you. Isn't He so good? It just, he is he was, so good. Yeah, He was preparing you for that. So, how is your family enduring through this trial? It sounds like you're all. I, I do wonder about your other children yeah. and how they are, how they're watching and what they're what they're doing and 
and how they are. So, so for example, you, you mentioned that your wife had to stop what she was doing for her daughter in order mm-hmm. to care for wit. And I wondered, yeah. well, how, how do these things affect your whole family and how are they wrestling with the attention that he gets and, and then his need? Cause he, he's in need. Absolutely. Well, thank you for, for asking and for considering them. I think that that, that took me a little while to realize the impact I think it's having on them. There's actually a, a young woman, can't remember the name of the book, whose sister had type 1 diabetes. And so she wrote a book about what it was like and to be a sister of, of a diabetic. And, mm. and I remember reading that book with my son Hudson. And as we were talking, it just became very clear. He was very fearful about his brother. He was very worried and anxious about his brother. He loves his brother. And so it wasn't something I paid attention to. He was living with a lot of anxiety and we hadn't been drawing that out. And so that was a great eye-opening experience. I was talking to a, a, somebody who counted, one of the many people in my life who counseled me one day. And he was explaining, he's uh, a lot of study with the brain and he was talking about how oftentimes seeing and witnessing a traumatic experience can be more traumatic than somebody who's actually gone through trauma themselves. And so that was also helpful realizing in a lot of ways, yes, this impacts wit every day, but it's also impacting our other family members. And as they see what's what's blood sugars go through the roof or low and it affects, you know, his demeanor and so on and so forth. This has an impact on our entire family. And also, you know, we're giving him significantly more attention and can't always be there for the other kids as we would like. So I will say it has taught all of my children to focus more on on the others and that's been a gift so we're thankful for that it's taught our other three children how to look out for wit when he's high and when he's low and so that's another gift but it's hard like i there are times you know i want to go toss a baseball with one of my kids because i but i can't because one because i don't know how to throw a baseball but more importantly because i'm sitting there with wit and making sure that he's not going to faint because his blood sugar's at 37 and dropping. And so, you know, we're learning, and it's leading to a lot of conversations with my kids about want versus capacity. And I want to be with you. I want to help you. I want to do this with you. Daddy's a limited person. Fortunately, we have a God who's not limited, and he can be everywhere at all times. And I think that through this, hopefully, my children as well as Allie and I are learning that where we're not sufficient, God is sufficient. And where you want dad and dad can't always be there like he'd like, God is always going to be there. But I'm also working really hard to carve out one-on-one time with each of my children. I, I try to take each child on a trip one-on-one every year for a few days. I try to take each of my children on a date at least once a month. And then obviously day-to-day, you know, time where I can. But I'm falling short and dropping balls left and right, that's for sure. Well, aren't we all, (laughs) you know, it's just, it's, I think it's just amazing how the Lord is, helps us and uses these trials and, yeah, and suffering as a family that to grow us. Mm -hmm. And you, you said something and I just want to confirm it because I, I, often when people struggle or suffer, there is, God gives grace in that moment. And I know that I was thinking about when my father passed away and when my sister Mm -hmm. passed away, I did more comforting of other people Mm -hmm. than (laughs) for myself. Mm -hmm. Now, when I would draw away, I would encourage my heart and I would need to preach truth to myself. But when I'm with people, I, I, and, and they hear about that. It's so quick. And, and it's interesting that I'm, I'm comforting them and helping them um, 
reminding them of the truth of the gospel. It's an interesting aspect of suffering that I hadn't really, yeah, I hadn't thought about until you said that. No, it's true. And in fact, I mean, this morning I'm on a a variety of text chains with different friends, but one group of three guys in my church in a text chain with one of the guys son unfortunately has cancer and he was having a really difficult day yesterday and I was going through something with two of my children and so we were going back and forth and then another friend whose wife is in the midst of serious suffering right now he sent us a a passage this morning from James 1 you know count it all joy my brothers when you meet trials of of various kinds and just the reminder that we must fight for joy but he here he is in the midst of trial with his wife and the anxieties of his own life and yet He's you know, preaching sending truth. this text yeah. exactly, and that's God's wisdom in the local church and how He's created, you know, the body of Christ. It really is. He knew exactly what He was doing, and it's such a gift. It is a gift, and yet we do, as people who suffer, need encouragement. So, how would you encourage the faith of a parent who might be walking with their child through suffering, and it could be a long, enduring process? How would you encourage them? Well, okay, so let's take a believing family first, because I think that the way in which I would go about this potentially could be different for somebody who's a believer than, than not. But assuming you're talking about a family um, who's believers, I, I love Paul Tripp's, in one of his books, he talks about no love, speak, do. And he's, you know, you have to get to know people, and then you love them, and then you can speak into their life, and then you can call them to do something. And so whether that's somebody going through trial and suffering, or whether that's somebody who's living in unrepented sin, I think that's a great framework to work through. And so, you know, Allie and I, we just want to love people. Whoever's in our life, whether they're a neighbor or from school or church or wherever, we really just want to give and pour ourselves out to people. Now, she's way better at it than I am, and I don't. that's not false humility. She sincerely is. Everybody who's ever met her will tell you. Well, but, I'm just going to pause and say, then that means she's radically loving because, Josh, everyone I know who knows you has been such recipients of your love and care, including myself, my whole family. Mm-hmm. So so your family must excel at love, well, <laughs> which is a grace. You. Yeah, It is. It's God's grace. And anything I know about how to love people, it has come from my wife. I think I was really good growing up at pretending like I love people while really loving myself. Mm. And and the Lord has taught me what it means to really give and expect nothing in return. It's still a battle, but she's great at it. That's amazing. So <laughs> it is amazing. But I think coming alongside people, it's, it's kind of what we talked about earlier. It's reminding them God loves your child more than you do. And I know how much you love your child. Reminding them of, of truth of scripture, reminding them of, of where God has met them in the past when there's been challenges and trials and difficulties. Oftentimes, though, it's just being there. Mm. It's just, I love you. I'm for you. Uh, you know, God loves you. He's for you. I remember the first time I encountered a, a couple who lost a daughter. And she was a, very, a baby and she passed away while she was sleeping. And mm. I remember asking a pastor buddy of mine, like, when I go see him, like, what do I say? What do I do? And he's just said, give him a hug and tell him you love him. And that's it. There's nothing you can say to somebody who just lost a child, right? And so I think oftentimes we we feel like um, we need to say the right thing or whatever. Oftentimes, it's not 
really about that at all. It's just being there. And I think over time in the in, in that, I think that Lord gives us, and then pray for opportunities. And in time, God gives us opportunities to remind people of truth. You know, Romans 8.28, great passage, phenomenal. It's true. It's wonderful. Somebody who just lost a loved one probably doesn't need to hear in that moment, God works all things together for the good of those who love him. Mm. But there are times and moments when that truth is going to come and only that's going only that truth is going to comfort their heart. Yeah. So I think a lot of it is timing as well. But I'm right. still learning and oftentimes people are going through suffering and I say the wrong thing or I don't say the, enough or I say too much or whatever and, and I just have to go back and say, "Hey, I hey, but I think that was really insensitive when I did this and I'm really sorry if that was hard or so a lot of times it's just apologizing after I mess up. But Hopefully, hopefully, just being transparent about my own struggles in my faith and my struggles as a dad and as a husband and the trials that Allie and I are walking through and our family's walking through. Hopefully, as I'm open about those things, it's a comfort to other people. That's, that's my hope. Thanks for listening to Stories of Sacred Endurance. If you are enjoying it, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. That will help more people discover and hopefully be encouraged by this podcast. And be sure to pick up a copy of my new book, Sacred Endurance, from InterVarsity Press. InterVarsity Press is offering podcast listeners 30% off the book through March 2020. Go to ivypress.com and use the code SACRED30 for 30% off and free shipping on your copy of Sacred Endurance. Thanks for listening.